Christmas. All right, let's get real this morning. Who has a Christmas list? Have you actually written it out? Don't be ashamed. It's okay. Now, have you? are you just keeping it to yourself and making them read your mind? Or have you told them? I have a short list this year. The thing I'm most excited about is I've asked for a dustbuster. <laughs> a really intense dustbuster. Because I can't wait to get rid of all of those globs of gross food that are dripping and oozing that my kids leave in the couch. That's what I'm excited about. Don has asked for some flippers for the bathtub. So I respect that. Many of us have Christmas lists, and that's fine. That's good. Um, for the most part, that's all well and good, but I want to take it a step further. Most of us have Christmas lists, but all of us have another sort of list, a wish list deep in our hearts that we have rarely, if ever, spoken to another person, maybe not even to ourselves. What do I mean by that? All of us have a list of things within our minds, deep within the secret interior of who we are. A list of things that we are convinced that once they happen, once we get them, we will be satisfied. We will be complete. Once we get these things, or this thing will be whole. On the day this person notices me or respects me, everything will be okay. Let me just get my degree, or let me just get this job, or this pay grade, or this rank, or this house. Then I will be complete. Then I'll be satisfied. If I can just get through this difficult season of my life and to the other side of it, then I will have arrived. I will be at peace. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll remember a few weeks ago we talked about this idea with Adam and Eve. God created them in a state of perfect peace, full shalom is the biblical word. Wholeness and fulfillment were the hallmarks of their original condition. But sin shattered that shalom, that perfect peace, and God cursed them and us as their spiritual sons and daughters. And one of the main characteristics of that curse that was upon Adam and Eve and, and that is upon us is that we will chase after that shalom. Because Adam and Eve experienced it and sin shattered it, they were cursed to chase after it in the things of this life. But those things will not satisfy of course, the things of this life bring us some joy, but ultimately, they will not make us whole. They will cause frustration and futility. 
is what Genesis 3 says. And every one of us has a secret interior list. We could call it, call them idols. And this list is churning inside of us. And because we're fallen humans, we actually believe the list. That if only I could acquire X, then I'll have peace. If only I can get this amount of money in the bank or my 401k, then I'll be satisfied. If I can just get this person to love me, then I will be well. And that's idolatry. And I'm guilty. It's an uncomfortable truth, but there's really no denying it. Scripture spells it out over and over again. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17. We can't trust our hearts. We're looking for peace, and our hearts will lead us to the wrong place. In our lives, we could check off every single thing on that secret list, and we still would not be satisfied. Take a look at some of the great achievers of the entire world. Steve Jobs, Michael Jordan, famous for never being satisfied. What the Bible says is true. Now, today we're going to read a passage from the Gospel of Mark about a man who encounters Jesus. And this man has a major request at the top of his list. But he meets Jesus, and in that encounter, he is healed physically and spiritually. His heart is mended. And he's given eyes to see that Jesus alone will satisfy him. And in Jesus alone, he'll find his wholeness, the peace, the shalom that he has been desiring his whole life. So let's look at Mark 10 together. Mark chapter 10. As you turn there, I want to quickly remind you where we are in our Advent series. We've been looking together over the last few weeks at Jesus in light of his role as the Prince of Peace, as Isaiah 9 calls him. The Lord is actively engaged in bringing peace to us on every level. He is restoring shalom. He's restoring creation, the earth, the cosmos, and everything that's in it. He's bringing peace between us, horizontal peace. Next Sunday, Richard is going to preach on the reality that Jesus is securing peace for us, vertical peace with God. And today we're going to go to the Scriptures to see what Christ does when He brings peace within to those who know Him. Mark 10, go to verse 46 there. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho, that is Jesus, with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. 
And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. Can we pray together? What you have said is true, Lord. Our hearts are deceitful and they lead us astray. We need your word to straighten us out. What's crooked inside of us? We need eyes to see you. We need ears to hear you. We can't heal what is broken within us. We need you, Prince of Peace, to turn these hearts of stone of ours into flesh. We have nothing within us that can fix what is broken. Our compasses are all cracked. Would you use your word and your spirit to enable us to look away from our own selves, our own situations, our own secret desires, and look to you for the purpose and wholeness for which we were created. May our prayer be, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. All praise, honor, and glory to the name that is above all names, King Jesus. Amen. Blind Bartimaeus is a very minor figure in the Gospels, but he stands out as a remarkable example of someone who responds to Jesus in just the right way. And that is something that we want to learn how to do. So let's look closely at who he is and what he does. Bartimaeus is a beggar sitting beside the road. Jesus is leaving Jericho on his way to Jerusalem for the final time. If you look into the next chapter, you you would see that. He's surrounded by a great crowd, but amidst the commotion... Somehow, he hears the cries of a desperate, broken man. Now, in in those days, the occupation of Bartimaeus would have been begging. That was really the only way for him to get by. There wouldn't have been any schools or institutions to take care of him. And Bartimaeus is sitting there, the Bible says, with his cloak, which is probably spread out in front of him, so that he can gather coins and food, anything that was thrown to him. And that was the custom in that part of the world. He was blind. I can't pretend to even imagine the difficulty of that. The feeling of uselessness and frustration. Our sister, Pat Hawkins, has just moved away from us, and she shared some of that difficulty with us. It ain't easy, I'm sure. Unlike many other physical impairments, blindness is one of those things that there is no denying it, no hiding it, no suppressing it, pretending that it's not there. Bartimaeus is essentially a non-person in his society. In fact, biblical scholars tell us that the name Bar-Timaeus can mean son of filth. And yet, for all his disadvantages, 
Bartimaeus has one huge advantage. And this is perhaps the most important thing that a person can have. He is aware of his need. He is aware of his limitations. Now you say, well, that seems kind of obvious. He's blind. He can't exactly act like he's not blind. But you and I are prone to a much more lethal kind of blindness as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Spiritual blindness, and we often don't know it. Our hearts are deceitful and they will lead us astray. Our spiritual eyesight cannot be trusted. Are we aware of our need? Or are we in denial? We're in desperate need. Our hearts are full of sinful longing. We have these interior lists of things that we're striving after and searching for that if we get them, then we'll be satisfied. And we convince ourselves on a daily basis that we're right and that we are seeing things clearly. We say, I'm right about this. This is what I need to do. I need to get the approval of this person. I need to make sure that I've got this kind of vehicle and this much money. This will be best for my family. This will be best for us. Then we'll have peace and satisfaction. I don't need my vision corrected. I'm good. Our culture, our American culture, is, is famous, actually, for celebrating rugged individualism, right? Watch a few truck commercials. In our culture, it is not okay to say, yeah, I'm needy, I'm broken, I can't fix it. That's not okay. That's un-American. Americans are famous for their can-do attitude. Herbert Hoover, self-made millionaire, um, president in the 20s, he made this concept famous during his campaign speech, going around talking about American self Reliance. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And it accurately describes us, I think. And the phrase became entrenched in our mindset and how we think about ourselves. Um, by the way, do you know what happened the next year after Herbert Hoover was elected? Yeah, the Great Crash of 1929, Black Tuesday. Ten years of Great Depression. Hoover wasn't reelected. And things weren't as together as they seemed. So we have a culture of pull it together, pull it together. I got this. But scripture teaches that we are not spiritually self-sufficient. That's a lie. And when we believe that lie and we all do, we are in a lethal position of being spiritually blind unaware of our great need. Bartimaeus was stripped of his illusions, and in being in that place, he cried out over and over again, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, think for a second. Just hearing that, hearing someone actually say that, that's a weak thing to say. It would make us uncomfortable, I think, to hear it. Have mercy on me. That's what fighters say, right? 
when they're throwing in the towel, when they're on the floor. Have mercy. I give up. I'm, I'm out of options. I surrender. That's, that's gross. That's the bottom. We find it despicable, and it would have been despicable in those days as well. I think especially us as men. We have a hard time with that. Are you, am I, willing to admit to the Lord that in and of myself, I am defeated and weak, dependent? That's hard. And it's extremely countercultural. If you're following along in your notes there, we're going to be on uh, letter B, undeterred. The level of weakness demonstrated by Bartimaeus was grotesque. The language in our English Bibles is actually toned down here. The Bible says they rebuked him and said, Shut your mouth. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He was undeterred. He would not be stopped by their rebuke. He had no pride left to keep him from throwing himself at the Savior. He was used to being desperate. He just lived in a posture of need where he had to be persistent. They said, Bartimaeus, who are you to bother Jesus? Who do you think you are? Be quiet. He's a busy man. He's too important, too good for you. You're the son of filth. He's the son of David. Just shut your mouth. Resign the, yourself to the fact that you're just going to have to live with this. That's just who you are. Get over it. Jesus has stuff to do. But Bartimaeus was so broken down that he would not be deterred by their insults. And he says again, Son of David, have mercy on me. Do these voices of rebuke sound familiar to us? If not hearing them from others, perhaps even within our own minds, it does to me. Your troubles, your needs, your brokenness is really not worth bothering the Lord over. You're really not worth that, Colin. You're, you're a son of filth, actually. He's the Lord of heaven. He's not going to hear you. Just handle it yourself. Just take care of it yourself. Quietly go about your business. Do it on your own. You see, that is, that's pride. That's my pride. But Bartimaeus' cry of desperation rose above the other voices, and his persistence was rewarded. So I want to back off here and have us ask ourselves, where am I today? Going into Christmas, going into the new year, honestly, where am I? Am I in a posture of, I got this, I got this, I can handle this, life, work, family, problems, goals, bam, 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 I got it. I can satisfy myself, or do we have a posture of need with our hands open? Son of David, I can't do this. Have mercy on me. What would it look like in our jobs 
in our families, in our relationships, in our parenting, in our problems, in our fears, in our heartaches, if we were able to cultivate a posture of, Son of David, I know how this looks. It's weak. But I am weak. Have mercy on me. I can't save myself. Have mercy on me. Roman numeral 2. Bartimaeus' persistence was rewarded. Verse 29, if you see it there. Verse 29 tells us that Jesus stopped and said, Call him. Jesus stopped and heard him. On his way to do something very important. He was on his way to Jerusalem. The triumphal entry is about to happen. He's on his way to the cross. He stopped. And he heard this pitiful man. So try to imagine that. All the energy, all the noise, the bustling, the animals, busy road. Somehow Jesus heard Bartimaeus in his cry. And, and I love this. This is such a nice touch of irony from Jesus. Some of the very people who were rebuking Bartimaeus were the ones who were told to call him. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. We have a God who is a hearing God. He is listening. He is near. He is near to those who cry out to him. The man who was born in the manger among the barnyard animals has an ear for those who are downtrodden, those who are needy and rejected and brokenhearted. They have his ear. Psalm 34. Turn there. Keep a thumb in Mark 10. Turn to Psalm 34. I want you to see this. Verse 18. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Did I get that right, that reference? The Lord is near the brokenhearted. I don't know about you, but when things are busy, I'm really bad at hearing my children. If I have things on my agenda, I will actively say to myself, I'm not going to listen to them right now. Because what I have to do is more important. It's pretty bad, huh? And I think we expect the Lord to be like that. We often project our human traits on Him and, and our own inadequacies. And we think that He's just not going to hear us. We're like, there's two billion people in the world praying right now. <laughs> you can't hear me. C.S. Lewis says something very interesting about this in Mere Christianity. Um, he's talking about how God doesn't have the limitations that we do. So just take, for example, God in his infiniteness has an infinite amount of time. So if he wanted to, stop and listen to you for however long, a hundred years, 
he would have no less time when he was done than when he began. Now, C.S. Lewis isn't actually saying he thinks that's how God operates. His point is that God is a hearing God. He's a hearing God. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Back to Mark 10. Verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Letter B. Seeing. We have a seeing God. Jesus knows what Bartimaeus wants. It's obvious. But he asks him anyway. And I don't think it's a rhetorical question or him being impatient. What do you want from me? He wants to hear it. He wants to hear the man acknowledge his need and request his help. What's really interesting here in this chapter is that this is actually the very same question that Jesus asks James and John. Back up that same page, a few verses earlier. Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, Jesus, and said, Teacher, what we want you to do for us, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. They said, Let us sit beside you when you're king, because we are somebody. Bartimaeus, the very same chapter, says, I'm nobody. Heal me. Make me whole. It's precisely what the Lord wants to hear and precisely what He wants to do is restore us in our souls. He's the Prince of Peace. He came to bring shalom. He came to restore the works of sin and the devil. And He wants to make us whole again. Amen? And so he grants Bartimaeus his wish and more. Bartimaeus was physically blind and the Lord knew that and he healed him. But the Lord is a seeing God and he saw that Bartimaeus actually needed much more. He saw what his true need was. And he sees what we are truly needing. What we are truly lacking and what will truly give us wholeness and peace. He's not merely interested in just fixing us so we can then go on our way. Say, see ya, thank you. We're spiritually blind and very weak. And we think that what we really need is this. But what we really need is Him. We all have different conceptions of God in our minds, what we think God is like. And they need to be corrected by His Word. Our eyesight needs to be corrected by God's Word. 
What do you personally see when you think of God, when you look at him as he exists in your own mind? Let me just ask you a few scenarios here. Maybe you identify with some of these. Do you see a busy God who doesn't have time for you? Do you see someone who is too important to be bothered? Do you see a God who is angry with you and can't wait to judge you? Do you see an impatient taskmaster, a demanding rule giver? Do you see a genie in a bottle? Or do we see the God of Scripture as he is here in Mark 10? Because this is Jesus, and Jesus is God, right? So this man that you're reading about right here actually is God. That's how God is. He's patient and loving, bringing shalom. He's the Prince of Peace, restoring all things, creation, us, our relationship with God. He desires to hear from us. And he will stop along the way for a worthless beggar like you or I. Gladly. And so Bartimaeus got exactly what he wanted. The thing that he just knew his whole life was going to make him happy, fulfilled, at peace, satisfied. He was going to get it. He got it. And so he ran off down the road and didn't look back. Is that what the Bible says? I'm reminded here of a lot of other times in the Gospels where Jesus will heal someone. And a lot of the time that actually is what happens, isn't it? Remember the ten lepers? What did nine out of the ten of them do? Jesus said, go your way, you're healed. And they, they took off. But one came back to him. Of course, Bartimaeus doesn't do that. He's been given eyes to see, and he actually realizes, this is Jesus. I see who he is. He's what I need, actually. Not just my eyes to be fixed. Jesus often says these words. I'll look there in chapter 10, verse 52. When he heals, he often says, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now that Bartimaeus is free, what does he do? Verse 52 says, He followed him on his way. If you would pull out your quotes and notes, if you've got that, I'd like you to get a look at this. It's funny that I'm preaching on this passage because my contacts are giving me fits today. They're like floating around in my eye. So I'm not winking at you, unless you're my wife. The third quote there from Tim Keller. Jesus says, you see, if you have me, I will actually fulfill you, and if you fail me, I will always forgive you. I'm the only Savior who can do that. But it is hard to figure that out for us. Many of us start going to God. We go to church because we have problems. And we're asking God to give us a little boost 
over the hump so that we can get back to saving ourselves, back to pursuing our deepest wish. The problem is that we're looking to something besides Jesus as Savior. Almost always when we first go to Jesus saying, this is my deepest wish, his response is that we need to go a lot deeper than that. Our application, again, for Roman numeral 2, same thing. We have to look at Jesus as our solution and become dependent, learn to become dependent on Christ, to ask him to go with us daily, to draw everything that we need from him. Lord, in this hard meeting that I'm about to have, have mercy on me. Son of David, in this impossible season of parenting, have mercy on me. During this period of great financial strain or physical pain, have mercy on me, son of David. He's a hearing and seeing God. Roman numeral three, becoming dependent. Other religions teach that human beings can actually achieve peace. Buddhism, Hinduism, most of our Modern New Age religions teach that, that you can actually grab it, that you can achieve it. It can be grasped. That thinking has infiltrated into us as believers as well. Many of us think that we can actually arrive. Even as Christians, we often believe that there will be a time when everything clicks into place, right? And I'm going to feel good about life, and I'm going to be at peace, and I'll be mature. And there will be such a time on the day when we bow before the Prince of Peace. And he brings to full consummation this great work of redemption that he's been doing out all throughout the ages. That day will come when there is a once and for all, never to be taken away, unshakable, eternal peace. In our soul, with him, with each other. But until that day comes, we must remain dependent on Him. Ephesians 2, 14, you know this verse. says, He is our peace. He actually is our peace. And even on that day, when everything is consummated and we stand before the Lord, even then we'll still be dependent on Him, won't we? We will still be dependent on Him. We are created for that. We're never going to arrive and be totally independent like we all want to be. Never. That's our spiritual eyesight lying to us. We were made to be dependent on Him and to practice that dependence and grow in it in our lives. That's really the main purpose of this sermon today. That's what I'm trying to get at. We want peace. We want fulfillment. We chase after it. That's part of our curse. But we only find lasting peace in learning to be dependent on the Lord. He is our peace. Daily, hourly. So that that concept takes root in us and it grows and it actually changes us so that we think differently and we live differently and we even worry differently. And we, we have an ideal, I think all of us have an ideal of what peace is supposed to feel like, tranquility or quietness, 
No one's bothering me. But it's not a feeling. Feelings are fleeting. Silence is interrupted. Peace is a condition of walking with Jesus. We don't know the rest of the story with Bartimaeus. We don't know how it turns out. But Scripture makes a point of showing us that Bartimaeus, the son of filth, who was aware of his need, also recognized he saw where he wanted to be. He saw that he belonged to Jesus, and that's where he needed to be to draw strength. So he followed him on his way. Would you turn one more place in your Bible? Psalm 131. I'm doing this to frustrate those of you that are looking at your Bible on your phones. That's okay. It's okay. We'll read it aloud. Psalm 131.2 I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. This is not a picture of independence, of self-reliance, of having arrived. This is a picture of a needy person whose whole life is, can only be sustained by that one other person. I'll read this one to you. You know it. Philippians 4. Paul says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not a picture of rugged individual individualism. It's a picture of need and dependence. Final point, letter B. Process. If you're like me when you hear somebody throw down the gauntlet of the Apostle Paul, you're like, okay, well, I'm never going to be Paul, you know. I'm never going to be like that. So, But walking with the Lord and growing in our dependence upon Him is a process. A process of letting Him have more control. It's a journey of failing and seeing our need and again coming to Him and asking, Son of David, have mercy on me. And slowly, as we walk along the way, we can trust Him to grow us in sanctification. Let me tell you guys uh, an awful thing that happens when you preach. God works on your heart as you prepare to share the Word, and it's, it's kind of hard sometimes. And all week long, the last couple of weeks, as I've been thinking about this passage, really, am I supposed to preach on that? I'm like the worst person in the world to preach a sermon on dependence. I mean, I'm, I'm a virtuoso in saying, <clears throat> I'm good, nah, I've got it. I don't need any help. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh-oh, uh, I actually need, I need help. Probably my favorite thing, and maybe in the whole world, is scuba diving. 
There we go. Maybe that's why Dunn asked for flippers for Christmas. <clears throat> I got into diving because I wanted to experience the freedom of it. I'm sure some of you have done it. The liberty of it is unparalleled. But you soon realize in the process of learning to dive that you most definitely cannot do anything you want and that you are most definitely not independent and free. You are very, very dependent on that tank of oxygen. And that process of learning to admit that to yourself, learning it, actually having to learn how to do it and breathe through the apparatus and not on your own can be very painful and very difficult. And it can cause panic and struggle and frustration. Does that sound familiar? And you realize, I actually am in, in need. But we can learn. Through our failures, we can come more and more to grips with our, our dependence. And that is where the real beauty begins, and that's when the real diving happens. Our conclusion. This time of year is the worst for distractions, products, promises, of things that will fill us, satisfy us. And our hearts are deceitful, and they will affirm those commercials and say, yeah, that will make me happy. What am I looking to this holiday? What am I looking to as I go into the new year? Am I looking to my family to make me happy, to satisfy me? God gave me my family. It's a gift. It's a beautiful thing. But is that what's going to satisfy me? You. What is it with you? Are you looking to fill in the blank? Only you can answer that, and it's probably more than one thing for many of us. Do we see ourselves in Bartimaeus? Are we ready to say, Son of David, have mercy on me? If you don't know the Prince of Peace today, consider that he is everything and the only thing that will satisfy you. If you're a person who's got it all handled, someone who's always fine, fine, just fine, bristles at the idea of lacking anything so that someone else would have to help, then examine yourself today. You might not be close to God like Bartimaeus. The Prince of Peace invites you to admit your need to him. But if you're someone who is in need and you know it and freely admit it, then you are in luck. The Lord of all creation came as a child in a manger, and he understands those who are low and needy and desperate, and he can make you well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, someone who learned to live in great dependence on the Lord, said this, the Advent message is a simple message. It is Jesus saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
Let's pray. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on us. We need you far, far, far more than we know. And we need you far, far, far more than anything that we'll get for Christmas or that we're dreaming of that will satisfy us. Teach us that. May we grow in our ability to depend on you and trust in you and rest in you. Like the air that we breathe. In Jesus' name, amen.